locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, April 30th, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here, the Mark Squared team, here to recap uh, an extended race weekend. I was, almost forgot what I was going to say. Hey, it's the end of a, a weekend, four days of racing, three days of racing. I can't remember a lot of racing at uh, Baku City Circuit in Azerbaijan. Hammy, how the heck are you, my friend? My friend, I am doing amazing. And I just want to add as well that we had two days of stunningly beautiful summer-like weather on Friday and Saturday. So excuse me if I was a little bit distracted from uh, some of the on-track action the first couple of days. I also, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, but one of our longtime listeners and big-time supporters from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, the very, very east coast of Canada, Kieran. He was in the city. We managed to link up at a Vancouver Canadiens single-A baseball game on Saturday. It was so great to see him. Thank you so much for making the effort to uh, to get together while you were here. But my friend, I'm doing good. And like you said, it was an action-packed weekend of racing. But before we get into that, how are you? How was your weekend? It's been pretty good, thanks. Uh, much like yourself, I was really enjoying the lovely weather. I mean, we've had an abnormally wet and cold spring here in the Pacific Northwest, specifically here in Vancouver and Lower Mainland. I know we complain about our weather all the time, but even by our low standards, it's been uh, kind of gloomy ever since uh, the, the season's ticked over, over uh, I guess, about six weeks ago. So it was nice to get some really, really seasonable weather. It was probably, what, about... 25 26 celsius was that but like 75 78 degrees fahrenheit or something like that it was just absolutely gorgeous i broke out the barbecue this weekend so enjoyed some of that so i'm, I'm ready to get summer going because that's i get that that's that sort of vibe that we're going to have this very kind of like bizarre in between season then one day all of a sudden it'll be summer here and uh, I'm, I'm I'm ready for it, my friend. But yeah, can I can I interrupt yeah. with two unrelated off-topic things before Absolutely. we get started? So the first is this: a few weeks ago on a podcast, you and I had a conversation about shower gel versus bars soap? of soap. Yes, I remember that. Uh, yeah, the the amount of positive feedback that that generated <laughs> was pretty startling. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And the reason I bring it up is a couple of weeks ago, we were in Lush, the, the store in the mall. Every mall has a Lush. Yep, but yep. they had some very cool Super Mario Brothers themed merch as, yep. as, as kind of a byproduct of, I guess, the tie-in with the movie, whatever. But they had a product and it's a Super Mario Brothers Coca-Cola scented body wash and I really wanted it but I didn't pull the trigger quickly enough so they all sold out um so my wife as a surprise went and ordered me a bottle $42 for a bottle oh, probably wow. like 355 mils uh so I went to use it today very excited to use my Super Mario Brothers themed Coca-Cola scented body wash <laughs> and I hope my wife is not listening it was terrible it smelled <laughs> like paint it smelled like toxic so I had to wash it off as quickly as I possibly could the only other off topic thing and you might get a kick out of this uh my son's class whenever the class is being a little bit rambunctious they they do this activity to kind of get the energy out of them so they can settle down and get back to focusing on class and my my son the other day as part of this kind of activity to kind of get the energy out of them had convinced had convinced his teacher to play the hotline bling song and so the teacher <laughs> played hotline bling the drake song while all the kids danced and the song was playing but they videotaped it and sent it out to all the parents in the class like oh this is parsa's choice parsa's choice 
I don't know how familiar you are with Hotline Bling, but the lyrics are not suitable for a kindergarten class. So I just got such a kick out of that, that my son convinced his kindergarten teacher to play Hotline Bling for the 12 kids in his class. Are, are these the but, same teachers that your son like addresses as bro and baby? Yeah, and baby, <laughs> baby. Yeah, so exactly. And I think everyone heard the story. Like his class has a list of unexpected behaviors, which would be like biting another student or yelling or something like that. And two of them, one is do not call your teacher baby and do not <laughs> call your teacher bro, which are specifically things that my son does. So and his teachers are world rules. class. So I apologize for Parsa. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Hilarious. We should probably get on with this. Sorry we should. Uh, before we jump into it, just want to give a shout out to JT the Human who created the awesome intro track uh, to this podcast. Also want to give a shout out to, to Tease at RacingExclusives.com who has uh, provided a phenomenal half scale signed Max Verstappen helmet for our fantasy league, which we will give away at the end of the year. Also want to give a shout out to the Race Weekend magazine. That's theraceweekend.com. Use their, uh, sorry, their, our special promo code, ScuderiaPod, which will save you 10% at uh, checkout. And before we get to the fantasy, I just wanted to let everyone know, if you're in the UK, tomorrow at 15.30 hours GMT, I will be on Sky Sports UK for about 10 minutes or so to do a yeah, quick hit baby. and write up, wrap up the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So hopefully uh, those of you who are Sky Sports uh, subscribers can come check it out. And uh, for those of you, uh, I'm not going to suggest to go to the, the dark regions of the internet to find an illegal stream. I've Hopefully, whoever can see it legitimately can do and so. And this is the last time you've ever been invited on Sky Sports <laughs> News. I'm, I'm trying to do it properly, Hammy. Anyways, yeah, really looking forward to doing that uh, tomorrow. So that uh, is 1530 uh, GMT, which is, I believe, 1030 Eastern Time and 730 AM here on the Pacific Coast. So, Mark, let's jump right into it. First sprint, we, uh, re, ugh, I'm going to need some coffee here. It's Hold almost, on. Uh, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> oh, Hold sorry. on. Fantasy. I've got an update too. So well, a couple I, so- of things before we get going. First of all, uh, one, kudos to you, by the way. This is a busy weekend for you. You get invited on to Tim Haraney's new show. So you, uh, you were, I don't know what the correct word is, but kind of feels like you were cheating on me a little bit with Tim, but that's okay <laughs> because Tim is world class and and any opportunity you get to record with Tim is worth it. So that was fantastic. And I encourage everyone to check out his new podcast. It's really, really good. And he's doing, I think, upwards of three shows a week. Kudos to you for getting the the call up to Sky Sports News tomorrow, man. That's awesome. If anyone, again, just to kind of re kind of reaffirm this, if anyone has the ability to do a screen capture or kind of record that for us, it'd be much appreciated. We'd love to be able to put that into our tweets feed as well. Um, another quick update for me before we get going, and this is something I've quite quietly been working on in the background and I'm also very excited about, but a very close friend of mine started a F1 content creation platform in the Middle East last year. And the platform is called MENA Grand Prix. MENA stands for Middle East and North Africa. And one of the driving motivations behind the MENA platform is that in the Middle East, there's a ton of races. There's a huge amount of local interest in Formula One, but there's almost nobody covering the sport. The local broadcast partners do a really poor job. They didn't even get, they don't have F1 TV Pro. They have to rely on local uh, television broadcasters. They didn't even get winter testing. So Mina's main ambition is to bring some really great world-class content to people in that region. Um, 
I'm very, very, very excited to announce that I'm going to be supporting with their English language channel. So they do an Arabic channel. Uh, their primary product is a weekly Grand Prix talk video show on YouTube. We are also launching now some English language channel content as well, which I'm super excited about. Some of the folks on this channel, you may already know, Sharbel F1 Techie, who was on last year. He's a big part of that network. Um, and the founder, my, my good friend Reem, is actually going to be joining us on a podcast in the upcoming future to talk about Mita Grand Prix and the explosion of interest in Formula One locally throughout that region. So I just wanted to bring that up because you're probably going to see if you are interested and you want a little bit more Hamilton in your diet, there's going to be a lot more <laughs> of it coming coming soon. So in Sweet. addition to this show, I'll be supporting on that platform as well. And I'm very, very privileged to be doing so. But that said, my friend, I am ready for F1 Fantasy. Are you? That's good because I still haven't been able to untangle my tongue here. So please do me a solid. Bring <laughs> us all up to speed with the with the F1 Fantasy. Uh, I, I'm sure my team tanked this weekend. I haven't even checked. So let, let's make some other people happy. Let, let's do that well, instead. Well, definitely. It's not going to be me. So I'm currently sitting 230th, 233rd. I've dropped a number of places. Number one, retaining the top spot, Mr. Bengals Bub. Number two, having moved up the rankings, Mr. Saucy Nug. TBS moved down a little bit at number three. Charles CL still at number four. Nathan's team has moved up to number five. Jesse H retains the sixth spot. L1F1 moves up to number seven, slipping a little bit. The bad guy one to number eight, moving up to number nine, a big move. Aston Sleeper pick down to number 10 is Jeff Payne down to number 11. Bionos Diaz. Up to number 11, who's Danny Rick? Up to number 13, my, 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 oh, oh, oh. Up to 14, radio check. And up to 15, Ole's Lenas. So a lot of movement, which I think we probably could have expected, but big shout out to Bengals Bub for retaining top spot on a weekend where there were so many points up to play. I have to imagine he has Sergio Perez on his team, but uh, great job to Bengals Bub retaining the number one spot for the second consecutive Grand Prix race weekend. Fantastic. Uh, congratulations, everyone. It's fun to do this, even though, uh, like I say, my, my team has kind of struggled to start the season. I guess uh, I could kind of like liken my team to McLaren, who, you know, haven't had like a, a, a great start. You know, I try to make some upgrades and we'll see how it goes from there. I, I'm just happy I remembered to, you know, do a team this year, like before the deadline, even though last year, and you'll never let me live, live this down, and, and rightfully so, you literally <laughs> reminded me, begged me, pleaded with me, scolded me, ordered me to do this, like literally right up until like the closing, like, 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 like deadline, and still I couldn't do it. So, you know, it's say okay. Livy. It's okay. It's okay. You're a busy, I, just... you're a busy guy, my friend. You're a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. I, I should just take a take a look. Yeah, I've dropped a little bit. Uh, I was I was just pushing, like cracking the top three hundred, but now after another below par weekend, I've dropped down to four forty nine. So, you know, it's not quite there for me this year. So, you know. What, what we, do I know in about hindsight, Formula you and I should have had a friendly wager as well about who was going to top who. That, <laughs> that would have been a little bit fun. And we could have had something on the line that would have impacted the show in some kind of way. But again, yeah. we keep telling everyone we have 19 Grand Prix left. There's an awful lot that can happen. 
there's an awful lot of racing to go. So, Mark, let's uh, jump into it now. Let's talk about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So this is a race that is not new to us uh, anymore. We've been going there since uh, 2016. It was branded the first time around as European Grand Prix, Azerbaijan Grand Prix ever since. And this weekend was the introduction of the first uh, uh, sprint race of the year, and that meant the all-new sprint format. We'll talk about that. So we had qualifying on Friday. We had sprint qualifying, the sprint race on Saturday, and then we had the race itself on Sunday. Now, you and I have talked almost to the point of ad nauseum about you know how we love the idea of sprint racing, then sprint racing came in, wasn't quite what we were hoping for, and they need to do something with it. And then this year, they announced that it changes to the, to the format for sprint uh, race weekends. And this was the first time we saw it in action. And Mark, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on it, but I'll tell you what I liked about it. Please, fact- please. Yeah. So the fact that they split up had qualifying on Friday, which determined the race or the, the, the grid for the race on Saturday, Sunday, pardon me. And then the sprint race on Saturday with its own sprint qualifying and the shootout and everything. I liked it because now the sprint is its own thing. It's not wrapped up and, and integrally tied to what's happening on Sunday per se. I, I like the format and I think maybe there is. It's going in the right direction. I don't know if it's necessarily perfect, but I think it's a much needed or it was a much needed twix, uh, twist to the the whole sprint uh, race weekend format. And I liked it. I thought it worked really well. Dying to hear your thoughts. Well, thank you for the opportunity because I've been dying all weekend to talk about the format. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, I, I think you and I have both given F1 a lot of credit since 2021 because they seem to be willing to, to monitor the structure and the experience, both for the drivers and for the fans, and adapt. And I like that point that you had about the fact that the sprint race is now kind of its own thing in the weekend. It's separate. It's in isolation from the Grand Prix. It's in isolation from qualifying. It's its own thing, and it has its own qualifying experience. I like that. I like that a lot. My my thought, though, is, and I'm going to read a tweet, or not a tweet, a text message I got from Seth Whiteberg on the weekend. And I don't know that he's going to like me reading this out, but I'm going to do it anyways because it (laughs) kind of summarizes my thoughts. But he says, not to form a preemptive opinion, but I think five sessions of must-watch F1 each weekend is more than I want to watch. And I kind of have to agree with him. And I, I had a pretty chaotic weekend and we had some personal stuff going on as well. But it was really hard to find a way to watch every single session without it almost becoming a chore. And I get if this was, if we were three races away from the end of the season and the championship was undecided, this weekend would have just been phenomenal. Like you would have been dialing in for every session. You would have been calling in sick from work, all that kind of stuff. But sitting here in, in late April, I guess the beginning of May, and even after a month long break, like it's asking an awful lot of the F1 viewer to make themselves available for qualifying on a Friday and to make themselves available for a reduced mini sprint shootout on Saturday, plus the sprint race, plus the Grand Prix. I, I struggled a little bit, man. And I'll be honest, like I watched the Grand Prix because you got to watch the Grand Prix. I was only able to watch bits and pieces and had to dial into podcasts and, and highlights to get the other pieces. And if, if I'm here 
you know, recording a podcast with you on Sunday night and I wasn't able to commit to every session. I don't know how many fans were and maybe, maybe FOM, maybe Liberty doesn't really care because they're still getting some degree of incremental eyeballs, which is making the TV networks happy, which is making the sponsors happy, but it's a big commitment, man. And I, I don't know about you, but were you able to find time to sit down and watch every, every session over the course of the weekend? Yeah, I did. Uh, at, at times it was, you know, watch the highlights and then go back and watch the individual sessions like um, like after the fact, just to kind of keep on, on, on top of things. And that was just more due to the fact that things are a little bit hectic at work right now as we kind of wrap things up uh, towards the, uh, the the end of the year or the, our year anyways. And so that kind of made it a little bit difficult to kind of watch live. But I, I don't really I, I totally understand where you and Seth are coming from. And I agree, it is a lot of, uh, you know, that's a lot of racing to go through over the course of the three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But where I, I don't mind it, and I'm not going to complain about it, at least not yet, is the fact that these are still kind of like one off. You know, th- we still have five to go. So we got Austria on the, the, the weekend of July 1st, Belgium the weekend of July 29th, and then they're, they're, they're backloaded more towards the end of the season. So we got Qatar the weekend of October 7th, Austin the, the weekend of uh, October 29th, and then uh, Brazil the weekend of November 4th. So there, there's going to be, you know, several you know, they're, they're going to come more towards the end of the season, which, you know, I guess is done on purpose if the the, the, the championship is close, that uh, potentially that, uh, you know, these sprint races and the races themselves are going to be more mean more in terms of points, should it turn out to, to be a close championship. That, of course, will play out over the next uh, six months or so. And it may, may or not be a thing. It may be all academic at that point, And we're just racing for the sake of racing. I'm not going to jinx yourself. So I'm going to take it for what it is. Yes, it was a lot of racing to watch this weekend. But still, you know, we, we don't have to do this again for another two months or so. So I, I'm perfectly fine. But, you know, when it comes to summer, I t- tend to have more time in the summer. So certainly I'll be able to enjoy Austria and Belgium coming up uh, later I- I- in the year. So let's talk about this now. So Charles Leclerc gets the pole on Friday. We go to the sprint race on Saturday. There were some good moments. Qualifying itself was it was pretty chaotic. There were a lot of uh, you know high profile moments and and people going to the barriers in Q one. The sprint race itself on Saturday I thought was uh, very enjoyable. I thought uh, we saw some good action on the track. Saw a very very bold overtake by Lance Stroll and Alex Albon, which was good to see. And it was interesting too because Ferrari demonstrated that top end speed that we 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 know that car has. They demonstrated again that uh, over the, uh, the 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 course, the length of a single lap, they're fairly pacey. But when it comes to the race itself, it just isn't there. And I don't think there was any real surprise that when it came to Sunday afternoon, over the course of a fifty one laps around a very very long Baku City circuit that uh, Ferrari were going to, they, they weren't really going to be challenging for the lead of the race. I mean, I think Charles did a very good job to stay out his front uh, as long as he could, but it really was a question of time before Max and Sergio Perez were going to pass him. And the question to me was, well, number one, how long is it going to take before they pass the Ferrari? And when they do, how far in front are they going to end up uh, by the time the race is over? And is that, um, you know, is it going to be sort of, 
I don't know if I want to call it like an artificial lead because we have a number of safety cars, which we've always seen in Baku. This uh, this weekend, we only saw the one what, with uh, Nick DeFries really pounding into the uh, the Tech Pro barrier. I think it turn, was a turn 15, breaking the steering arm and then uh, you know not being able to do anything in that car. So, I mean, it made sense. But typically, we see a fair amount of chaos around this circuit. We certainly have in previous years. So this was a tame one by comparison. But at the end of the day, I don't think that when we, we, we look at the sprint race and we look at the race itself, I, I don't think we're really all that surprised that uh, that it's a Red Bull that ends up on the top the, the top uh, step of the podium in both cases. Maybe we're a little bit surprised that it was uh, it was Checo on Saturday and Sunday and, and daring that championship uh, lead of Max Verstappen's to six points. But, you know, I, it, it's interesting too, like in an era when the the cars are supposed to be more racy, we're supposed to see more overtaking. That the best racing that we've seen on this circuit was in the prior era before the the launch of the new cars. Anyways, Mark, I know I'm kind of rambling here a little bit. Love to hear your take on uh, some of the action we saw on the track uh, this weekend. I think I would probably be. I think I would probably come across as a little insincere or inauthentic if I suggested that the Grand Prix itself was a a banger because it wasn't. But if you dissect it, there were still some interesting things to talk about. And before I go there, I I should comment on that point that you made about Charles Leclerc. Congratulations on the poll. I think that his ability to extract maximum performance out of that car over a single lap in qualifying is unquestioned. I think he's demonstrated that throughout his career that he's really strong in in qualifying. Ultimately, I think the Red Bulls were absolutely exceptional. And one of the takeaways that I had from the race, and I have a few of them, is that I I kind of hoped that some of the teams would have been able to close the gap a little bit more over that break. And I get... You know, once you identify a problem and you put a part into production, it can take weeks or months to come. And I also went into this race with really high expectations for Mercedes, assuming they were going to bring a catalog of new parts. But as I understand it, that their major W14 upgrades not going to come until Imola. So we have a, a couple of weeks left until we see what what uh, they've got up their sleeve. But I think my my biggest takeaway from the race was it was pretty exciting. I don't know if exciting is the right word, but I thought it was pretty intriguing to see that battle between Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen at the front. And I I would be lying if I sat here and said, I didn't believe that Max Verstappen was going to ultimately run away with this championship. But one of the things that I did find compelling about this race was the fact that Sergio Perez might make him work harder for this championship than maybe I and a lot of other media pundits had assumed he was going to. Obviously, the championship wasn't particularly close last year, and it was probably too close between Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc for P3. But I I really feel now that if Max isn't feeling a little bit of pressure from his teammate, he probably should be. At this point, Sergio Perez has got a couple of Grand Prix victories under his belt this season, two of four. Of course, Max is the other two. Uh, Sergio Perez was full full marks for that, that sprint race win, and there's just six points separating them in the WDC. But 
if we thought that Max was going to run away with this championship, and I still think he probably would, maybe it's not going to happen until much later in the season. So people like you and I should be much more excited because maybe we'll still have something <laughs> to talk about come July and August. But again, that that Red Bull, putting aside the battle between the two of them, that Red Bull was absolutely exceptional. And the speed with which both Red Bull drivers dispatched Charles Leclerc at the beginning of the race was, I don't want to say embarrassing, but maybe a little bit embarrassing when you when you kind of talk about their performance versus the rest of the field. And you think if there's going to be any track on the calendar, and I don't know if you and I talked about this on the air last week or if we talked about it off the air, but I, I had high hopes that, you know what, if we were going to see a chaotic unexpected, unpredictable conclusion to a Grand Prix this year. It's going to happen in Baku. It's going to happen on the Baku City Street Circuit. And ultimately, despite the potential for mayhem, despite the potential for chaos, the Red Bulls finished 1-2. And Mark, I pose this question to you now because I thought that this would have been an absurd, an absurd bet earlier in the season. But I'm now beginning to see a world where the Red Bulls win every race this season. And I know there's still 19 left, but if they can come out with their record unscathed that back who, is there a possibility that one of those two drivers manages to win every Grand Prix the rest of the season? And I know it's daunting and it might be discouraging for a lot of people, but that car just looks so good, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I got some thoughts on that and more. So what we'll do now is we'll take a quick break and then I can get into my long-winded response, which will probably take us <laughs> to the it, second break. So let's do that. Let's uh, jump into a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side. We'll talk about that and more. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. All right, welcome back. And Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here talking about the uh, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Hammy, before the break, you posed the question, do I think or do we think collectively that uh, this could be a season in, in which that we see the Red Bull uh, drivers, both cars, both Checo, both Max, win all the races? And I think it's very much looking like that. As you mentioned, you're hoping to see something uh, from Mercedes. They didn't bring their upgrade package. Ferrari... I guess it's not really a surprise that they were a little bit ahead of the Aston Martins this weekend. The Aston, I think, a fairly draggy kind of car. The the the, the Ferrari we know has got good top end speed, so just they they, they kind of canceled each other out, right? But the, the the Red Bulls again, they just looked so good. The car looks so good. The drivers, both of them, both Max, both Sergio, driving incredibly good. The the strategy that they're employing on the pit wall is good. You know, they're they're not having any issues with the pit stops. Everything in that team is just firing in all cylinders at the moment. And I think what we're seeing right now from Red Bull is very much when we were seeing at peak Mercedes in the late teens, right? Even though that they came out in 2014 and quickly established themselves as the team to beat in the, the, the beginning of the V6 turbo hybrid era, that as they went along, they just got better and better and better. And we, we've kind of seen that too with Red Bull over the past couple of years. And they are now at that sort of that, that peak level of performance where they're just ticking all the boxes in every single category that 
uh, that that you think of. And like you say, if if they can come out of Baku, which is typically a race where we see a lot of drama, and we, you know, <laughs> this was very tame. I mean, this might have been a fairly cut and dry, run of the mill type of Grand Prix at any other circuit we might see the rest of the year. I mean. There's a handful that are, are are fairly chaotic, but for you know, 90, 85% of the rest of the calendar, this wouldn't have been like an unusual type Grand Prix. But the fact that they came out of here without any damage, and we'll we'll talk about George versus Max in the sprint race because that was a little bit uh, different, and that was that was some good stuff as well. In the in the main event itself, the big ticket. I don't know what to say. I mean, they, they were just unstoppable once again. But I want to go back and talk about uh, Checo because I don't hear a lot of people talking about this. And this is where it gets interesting, right? Because, you know, Max now sitting, I think, is on 93 points. Checo sitting on 87, six points between them after four races. Like you said, they both won a pair of Grand Prix each so far this season. Now, this is where I think it gets interesting. Max has been paired with a number of different teammates at Red Bull since he joined the team in 2016. And in, in you know, when you go back to 2017, 2018, until Danny Ricardo left, Max would win a race or two here and there. Ricardo won a couple of races here and there. Was there really any tension between the two of them? You know, that being said, that was a point in Max's young career, his young life, and he still is a very young man, but he was still, you know, a diamond in the rough, still perfecting the craft, and the car still wasn't quite there as well. But the thing is now, when you look at the, the teammates as he's had, like the Alex Albons, the Pierre Gasly's, the, uh, the, the Danny Ricardos, and now Sergio Perez, I don't think Sergio's getting any love or respect for the fact that compared to all those other, other drivers, he's adapted best to a car that is designed and built for one person, and that is Max Verstappen. I think Sergio has done a phenomenal job since he got there, and his first season at Red Bull, there were some ups and downs, took him, I would say, legit two-thirds of a season before he settled in figure this car out but now i think that we have a similar situation that we had in the mid-teens with nico rosberg and lewis hamilton where we without the toxicity between teammates at least for now where either one of those drivers were you know legit choices to you know win a race on a sunday you know the thing is that uh, you know like bottas after he replaced nico rosberg after nico retired after the 2016 season still a very good race driver race car driver but you know, he wasn't quite on that same level as Nico Rosberg. He was going to win some some races here and there, but he, you know, you know, without being too you know mean about it, he wasn't quite on the same level as Nico. Nico, of course, being a world champion, but there was a lot of drama there. So I see a similar situation forming at Red Bull now with Max, with Sergio, and although things are good at the moment, I think that Max has a teammate that is is just as capable on uh, you know on a lot of occasions that'll be able to push him during a race. And it'll be interesting to see how long this persists before, you know, Max's inner circle and Max himself start piping up and, uh, you know, reminding uh, Christian Horner and Red Bull management who their number one driver is. And, you know, the team orders become like a little more, let's say, put on public uh, display. What, what do you think, Hammy? I'd love to hear you weigh on, uh, on, on this thought. Yeah, I think that's some really great Formula One uh, analysis, my friend. And I think t I'll respond with two points, one of which is I think we have to be fair to the other drivers that Max Verstappen has been partnered with since Danny Ricardo in Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon, that none of them had three years with this car, right? 
Pierre Gasly had six months, five months, four months before he was booted back to Toro Rosso at the time. And Alex Albon had a year and a half that neither of them had three years to get acquainted with this car and work with the engineers and end up with a package that worked for them as well as it did for Max Verstappen. But but you're right that obviously Sergio Perez has adapted, but again, he's a much older driver he has significantly more experience and he'd already won a formula one grand prix by the time he showed up with with red bull where i i do find myself very much aligned with you is that comment about max verstappen's camp and i think from a immediate pundit perspective like that's where it's going to get interesting right which is at what point do we start hearing the ripples out of max's camp about the fact that the runway isn't being set for him to win a grand prix every weekend and let's say we're in grand prix seven eight nine and they're still separated by 10 15 20 points in the in the wdc championship what what are, what are the what are the comments going to look like? Like Max was in pretty good spirits this weekend after the Grand Prix, despite not having won it. And you know, full marks to full marks to Sergio Perez for the victory. And you know, maybe he was aided a little bit by the timing of that safety car, but ultimately full marks to him. But you're right; is there going to be a point where there's going to be? unequal or uneven distribution of pressure applied in that garage because there's an expectation, maybe not contractually, but maybe verbally there's this expectation that Max is going to be set up as the champion. And if Sergio Perez can keep it close, what happens in that garage? And you're right that there's no toxicity, at least not in the sense that there was in the in the Mercedes garage in 14, 15, and especially 16. But oftentimes toxicity is a byproduct of close competition between two drivers and poor leadership and poor communication from the leadership above them. And that's to say that maybe that does manifest itself in Milton Keynes and in the Red Bull garage, but I'll be fascinating to see. But I wouldn't have expected that Sergio Perez would have been this close four races in. And I know it's early, but he was exceptionally strong this race weekend and he he deserves every point that he was able to collect and again if not for the fact that australia wasn't the perfect outing for him my gosh he could have been leading the the world drivers championship after four races which is a remarkable thing to think and say yeah, absolutely. And the entire time you were talking, Mark, I couldn't help but have that image of Yas Verstappen in uh, Saudi Arabia, in the uh, in and around the uh, you know the the podium, and that that cold, icy, blank stare that uh, you know after Checo won that race and just basically did not. <laughs> he was the one person that when Checo came by for high fives and hugs, he avoided him. <laughs> he gave him a wide berth. I was just like, totally. wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, th- and the thing is, Max and his team, they don't show up or his inner circle, I should say, they don't show up for a race just to to be there. They they, they go and the expectation is that they're going to win each and every weekend. So I don't know how long this is going to pr- last for, but at some point it's, it's, it's going to get interesting. If we hear those discussions kind of bleed out into the public sphere, that's when I'm going to think that, uh, you know, okay, maybe the management don't get it uh, or they, they haven't gotten it under control yet. Because I think it's very interesting that when you're saying that, you know, it maybe speaks to a lack of like like leadership um, among the team itself. And, and, and that's why that whole 
that snapshot of like Rosberg versus Lewis and how that really scaled up every race, every season of those course of a couple of years. And some of those flashpoints like we saw in Belgium, like we saw in Austria where they, you know, they had their comings together and things like that. that When it comes to Toto, when it comes to Mercedes, like ineffective management, ineffective leadership is not something that comes to mind. I mean, you know, the, you know, the complete opposite to that, right? And and that is why that that whole situation between the two of those drivers, I'm surprised that it got to the level that it did, you know, even with the you know the the benefit of now having, you know, a number of years to 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 turn around and look back at it. And I get the same vibe as well when it comes to to to, to Red Bull. I mean, love them or hate them, Mercedes or Red Bull, you know, depending where your loyalties lie. I mean, these are championship caliber teams. I know that Mercedes had their way for so many years, but let's let's not take anything away from Red Bull either. I mean, just because they weren't winning as much during the teens as they were before that, I mean they still are and were an exceptionally well-run team from top to bottom with good drivers, good people there. It's just they didn't quite have the package. Uh, and then once they switched to Honda and and that whole program and everybody got on the same page there, I mean, boy, they've never looked back. But it'll, it'll be interesting to watch to see how it goes uh, because there, there, there was uh, some sort of like, I think a little bit of a unconscious slip now from Christian Horner today. I'm just trying to remember the exact same thing, but it was almost like... Um, you know, kind of sort of saying that, and I, I don't want to paraphrase, but to me, it kind of sounded like that uh, that that Sergio winning wasn't the exact uh, you know outcome that uh, that that he was looking for. But certainly, uh, to, to to think after four races that these two have split them fifty fifty is not something I would have predicted when you and I sat down. Maybe that would have been on your and Sam Cooper's kind of like bizarro alternate like report cards or predictions that that nobody like uh, you know expected to happen. So I don't know. Maybe that's something you and Sam will have to like go back and uh, revisit. But you know, joking aside, it is interesting. But want to dial it back now to the sprint race because the one moment of note did um, well. I mean, there were several throughout the the, the, the weekend, but the, one of the bigger ones was during the sprint race between uh, George Russell and Max Verstappen. They went into turn two. They, uh, you know, they banged uh, pretty hard going through. Max ends up with uh, some floor damage and then Georgia takes the position. And then, you know, they have a, a bit of a conversation afterwards after the race is over. Hammy, I want to get to your thought on the, uh, the the incident itself. Was George, was he across the line or was that just a product of, of good hard racing between two guys? And let, let's face it, I don't think that when it comes to George or Max, either of those guys is going to lift an inch or a second or a fraction of a second sooner than they need to. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with the former and I, I don't really assign blame to either one of them. And ultimately neither of them really compromised their race. There was no virtual safety car. There was no safety car. There was no meaningful damage. But I think the reason that this is noteworthy is simply because the media picked it up 
subsequent to the race and it got quite a bit of traction on on Saturday but ultimately I I don't blame George for trying to take that line and you know if you if you look at the replays Max had an awful lot of room and I think the reason that we're talking about this is because there was that soundbite between the two of them post sprint race that got picked up by the media and Max was obviously expressing his displeasure at to George for having chosen the line that he did or going it as deep as he did given the fact that Max believed they were all on relatively cold tires. But you know what? At the end of the day, Max got a lot of criticism for those comments. I don't think it was necessarily warranted. I think a lot of drivers say a lot of things to each other in the heat of the moment and shortly after they get out of these cockpits and take those helmets off. And this one just happened to get picked up by by the media. And it's an it's an easy thing to to lean into in terms of broadcasting a soundbite on social media on, on the networks because there was a lot of, I, I would say, not necessarily Max criticism this weekend, but Max was quite critical of the sprint race concept and the media picked that up quite a bit. But ultimately, look, it was it was a it was a fine racing maneuver by George Russell. Maybe he went in a little bit deep. Ultimately, who cares? There was no contact. There was no penalty. Max didn't like it. And he shared his thoughts with George Russell after the race. I I don't know. I don't know what else to think. Unless you have some sort of epiphany on this one. I just, I thought it got an awful lot of media play for something that probably didn't warrant the amount of play that it got. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't really have like a, an issue with uh, Max like expressing himself. Yeah, neither his do displeasure, I. George, because I mean, I mean, it's still like the heat of the moment. The adrenaline is still at a high. I mean, it wasn't a dangerous move uh, by George. It wasn't like George lunged from like you know two car lengths behind or something. I mean, they were virtually neck and neck. Max maybe was a fraction ahead. George had the inside line. It was good hard racing. And, you know, where I draw the line, if it's dirty, if it's unsafe and, you know, you flip this around, if that was Max and on the inside and George on the outside, Max goes for that a hundred times out of a hundred, you know, so So, so does Lewis, so does Fernando Alonso, so do all of the championship caliber drivers on on the circuit. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and I think that's uh, what 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 makes it uh, fun to watch. I mean, as good as we saw some of these uh, take you know overtakes going down into T one, you know they have the benefit of ramping up to two hundred miles an hour plus coming down that that mega long straight, and then you know, got the DRS as well. I mean, but the, I mean that was off the start. It was good hard racing. I loved it, and um, you know, and and it's funny too. Well, it's not really funny, but I mean, this is George's second season with the Mercedes, and he doesn't have the benefit of having as good as a car as Max Verstappen. If that W13 from last year, the W14 from this year is anywhere as good as the Red Bull, we see a lot more like racing between these two. I think that these two guys are cut from the very similar kind of cloth. And I think that if George had a better car, I think that we see a lot more moments like this. And I'm hoping at some point that Mercedes is going to catch up because I would love to see it. You know, if, if, if we get a little bit of beef generated between these two guys, like I say as long as it's clean as long as it's safe and 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 we see moments like this i'm okay with it Uh, i I think it was good another great move that i I thought we saw was um into t6 a place where we don't usually see some uh, overtaking fernando alonso at the the beginning of the race on carlos Sainz. that was great i wanted to get your take on fernando's radio transmission halfway through the race saying yeah uh, why did you pass on to lance the the settings for my brake balance you know is working something I'm, I'm i'm paraphrasing it was something like that it's like my lit my head literally exploded at that time i would love to see the look on 
other former Alonso teammates like Lewis, like so many others thinking, well, where the heck was that when I was like a, a teammate of Fernando? Maybe there were you know, moments like that that never saw the light of day. But when, when I heard Fernando sharing these things that should be passed along to Lance, I was just like, wow, it, is, it, is it possible that Fernando has had some sort of personal epiphany? Because this is not very on brand and maybe this is not fernando's own personal brand but at least on brand in the fernando that has sort of become you know his i don't know whatever you want to call it his the way that he's uh we, we've come to expect him over the years so i thought it was kind of an interesting moment what, what did you think of that, that maneuver at t6 at the beginning of the race by the way when he when he snuck into the inside of that corner to squeeze by carlos signs what a masterclass in driving by Fernando Alonso. And that's Beauty. specifically why you pay somebody like Fernando Alonso the big bucks and you give him term on his contract because moves like that. And I'm not saying that there aren't other drivers on on the on the calendar that could have or would have done that, but I don't know that all of them you know what? I don't even know that many of them would have. He he had a little bit of space and he went for it. And in, in the process of doing so, he was able to get past a driver who I don't believe he otherwise would have passed. He basically stole fourth place in this Grand Prix away from Carlos Sainz because Carlos Sainz went a little too deep into that corner and left a little bit too much room. And I really don't know who else would have been able to pull off that maneuver. And I'm glad you brought up Fernando Alonso because well, he finished off the podium. He finished P4. He's been P4 or better now in every race this season. He sits at 60 points, third in this ch- in the Drivers' Championship, 12 points up on Lewis Hamilton. I don't think any of us could have expected that. But I just think the the contrast this race as well between him and his teammate in Lance Stroll, that Lance Stroll obviously finished P7. I, I think that was a very, very... I don't want to say generous because you you earn you earn your classification and to have a top 10 finish is, is always a favorable positive thing but Lance Stroll was not great this weekend and he 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 coughed up possibly one possibly two positions in this race you know he goes deep in T16 in an ugly ugly corner he gives up that spot to George Russell what's to say that sorry not to George Russell he gives up that spot to Lewis what's to say he isn't able to hold on and I know for a fact that obviously given the same machinery which he has Fernando would have held off Lewis like I just I was not impressed with with Lance this weekend and I think I gave him a lot of kind of space to operate the first few Grand Prix because he was coming back from that injury but he he clipped a wall he was very lucky he didn't sustain a puncture or more serious damage that mistake I guess it was at T16 when he was able to when he ultimately let Lewis through was really disappointing because he should have finished P6 I just I don't know if it's that well, I do know Fernando is absolutely driving the wheels off of that car this year and, and Lance is just performing. And I just think it speaks to the monumental delta between the quality of those two drivers. And I hope and I pray that Lance is able to put some more competitive performances together. But I think that Fernando is showing the world what that Aston Martin is truly, truly capable of. And I don't think Lance is driving in the same class as his teammate. 
Yeah, it's interesting too because uh, the, the the team themselves they kind of struggled. You know, they had issues with the DRS, and you know, it just, it just kind of had like a bit of an off feeling to them. You know, or th- this weekend for that team. Yeah, having said that, Fernando still gets a P four, Lance still gets a P seven on a weekend when they weren't firing on all cylinders. They still get a double points finish, and I think that uh, that that's maybe more than they you know expected. So you know, you go away from from Baku, which is a bit of a tough uh, couple of days. Now you can look forward to going to Miami uh, ne- next weekend. But yeah, I mean, as disappointing as that that, that was for Lance, I mean, you got to give him, you know, give him some props uh, for that uh, that move that he put on Alex Albon during the sprint race. But Fernando just couldn't get uh, quite uh, close enough to, to Charles. He got uh, close-ish to being within DRS range, but Charles was just able to just keep, you know, use that uh, top-end speed of the Ferrari just to keep Fernando at, at arm's length. And unless uh, Charles uh, did something silly or the car let him down, which, you know, has been an issue for Ferrari and with the reliability was, was a possibility today, they didn't. But um, Fernando just didn't get close enough to actually seriously ever challenge Charles for the for, for the P three. You know, talking about Ferrari now, I think uh, you know the P three for Charles was you know finally uh, some points at a podium that have uh, been a long time coming this year. But I mean, Ferrari, I mean, nothing, not really an exciting weekend. I know that kind of sounds kind of silly and odd to say for a p3 and you know having both cars in the top five but you know they they just i I think they really use the top end speed that that car has because carlos just was you know is is as much as Charles was able to keep Fernando at arm's length, I mean, Carlos did the same thing with the with Lewis. Lewis never really got closer than a couple of car lengths, had a couple of, um, you know, polite looks up the inside, and they weren't even wishful because he still was several car lengths away from seriously trying to put an overtake on, on Carlos Sainz. I mean, a fairly anonymous uh, weekend from, from a race, for, at least for Carlos and for Charles himself. But you know, compared to some of the other drama that we see, you know, 15 points for third and 10 points for fifth, you know, that's 25 points for Ferrari. And even though it's not a race victory, it's it's better than some of the other results that we, we, we've seen. So maybe uh, if you're Fred Vasseur, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, you take a little bit of, uh, you know, take a little bit from from that. Anyways, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. I want to take another quick break. We'll come back, start wrapping this one up. So we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, Mark, uh, bringing it back to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Let's uh, quickly just go down the final race classification. Winning the Azerbaijan Grand Prix was a Red Bull driver, Sergio Perez, leading home his teammate, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc for Ferrari, finished out the podium in P3. Then we had Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, Lance Stroll, George Russell, Lando Norris, and Yuki Tsunoda for the top 10 finishers. That was for the Grand Prix itself in the sprint race on Saturday. We'll just go over that as well. The uh, the final classification for the sprint, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen was your podium. Then you had George Russell, Carlos Sainz, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Lance Stroll, Alex Albon, and Oscar Piastri. So Alex Albon missing out on a point in the sprint race for Williams. And uh, that last point went to Lance Stroll. So again, you had... Uh, you know, another four points uh, this weekend for the Aston Martins. So like we were saying before the break, uh, Hammy, wasn't a great uh, weekend uh, for them. 
it was a difficult weekend, but still they got a decent amount of uh, points uh, out of it. We'll just uh, run down quickly on the uh, current standings of the World Drivers Championship. We have Max Verstappen leading the way with 93 points, six points ahead of his Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez with 87. Fernando Alonso still locked into third place after four races. And the Aston Martin driver has 60 points. They have Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz rounding out the top five in the Constructors' Championship. It is a Red Bull uh, almost... Uh, you know, ahead by 100 points in the uh, constructors over Aston Martin. Red Bull currently on 180 points. Aston Martin second with 87. Only nine points ahead, pardon me, 11 points ahead of uh, Mercedes who have 76. Ferrari have 62. And McLaren have slipped into the top five in the constructors with a mighty 14 points. So, Mark, just want to go down a couple of other things here with, before we wrap it up. Just uh, wanted to talk now about some of the other teams that we saw in the top 10 on Sunday in Azerbaijan. And, uh, well, for one, we saw Lando Norris coming home in P9 for McLaren. His teammate, Oscar Piastri, missing out on the points. He was, uh, finished 11th, uh, just uh, about two and a half seconds behind Yuki Tsunoda, who split the two uh, McLarens. So it's been a bit of a, a rough start to the season, but yet they had a decent-ish kind of weekend in uh, in in Baku. And then you compare that to another disastrous weekend uh, for the uh, the Alpine team. Both uh, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Alcon finishing out of the points in 14th and 15th. And that leads in nicely into a discussion about what was a very bizarre and potentially a very, very serious and dangerous situation on the last lap of the race. Esteban Alcon came in for his first stop of the race on lap 51, came screaming into the pit lane at 200 miles an hour, only to be confronted by a huge crowd of photographers and other media people that were, you know, allowed to marshal in the pit lane, which they, they do have access to. Fortunately, Esteban uh, reacted on time and, uh, you know, nobody was hurt. But this was such a bizarre situation. For those of you that were watching the race, following the the, the, the race on Sky Sports, heard uh, Crofty and Ted Kravitz, the pit lane reporter, talking about this. They were speculating at the time, could they, did, did Alpine forget to pit Esteban Ocon for his one uh, pit stop of the race? Because you have to remember that you have to use at least two compounds, tire compounds over the course of the race. At that point, Esteban Ben had 50 laps on his uh, tires and decided to come in at the very last moment, only to be greeted by a bunch of people who shouldn't have been there. So apparently everybody knew that Esteban hadn't pitted. And, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, uh, um, Otmar Safnauer, pardon me, I almost forgot Otmar's name. He's a bit, uh, you know, sly with uh, these sorts of things. I could totally see this sort of uh, strategy coming from them. But that being said, it is very unusual to see a driver come in for their first stop of the race on the last lap or that far in the race uh, period. So you could see why maybe somebody had overseen or overlooked that. But still, if you're the person that's in charge in the pit lane of the all, you know, you know, granting access to people with cameras or microphones or whatever it is, you still have to be aware that there is one car on on the track. And even though that they haven't pitted, it's very unlikely that his team is going to overlook that and forget that their driver needs to come in for a pit stop. So how this slipped under the radar is, Mark, it's frankly, it's quite shocking. Yeah, very, very, very scary moment. And what... 
you know, I, I saw somebody earlier today that posted the the Spider-Man meme where you've got the three or four different Spider-Mans all pointing their fingers at each other. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think yeah. the sense is that that's probably going to be a little bit of what happens from an accountability perspective. But you're right. And again, it's funny, too, because Akon wasn't – if you go back and rewatch that the end of that race, he wasn't the only driver that pitted in the last couple of laps. He happened to be the last, but he wasn't the only one. So the fact that there was still that swarm of – that swarm of media and photographers that were actually on the pit lane it, itself was was terrifying. And I, I, I'm not one to necessarily call for people's jobs, but this is in the grand scheme of things that if the FIA is responsible for adjudicating and administering a safe Grand Prix, that this is one of those instances where heads definitely definitely need to roll it's it's like in japan last year in that horrible weather there's you know a freaking tractor driving around perfect and all that example. spray that perfect you example. know that's the same thing right you, you have one I mean, job it, you have one job <laughs> exactly exactly and you raise a great point because i forgot about this too it wasn't like there wasn't any action in the pit lane george was in the pits the, the lap previous to change onto soft tires to get that uh, that that fastest lap right so i mean george had literally just left the pit lane when esteban came in there i mean it wasn't literally that that esteban was right there but i mean not that much time had elapsed and you could almost see this unfolding because when kravitz is talking to crofty on the like on the the the, the color or sorry the commentary right He's talking about the fact, you know, have they forgotten about this? Because there's people out in the pit lane. It looks like they're going to put a barrier up now to block the pit lane. And, you know, granted, I'm not in the pit lane when these things usually happen. But I was just like, why would they be closing the pit lane now before the checkered flag is waved? And this race is officially over. I know there's certain protocols and, you know, where all the cars go after the race is officially over, etc. But still, you know until that last car stops there's there's a grand prix in progress and while a grand prix is in progress you would have to think that even though it's the last lap of the race and you know the you know the odds are fairly small that someone would likely be going in you know we still did see a couple of cars in the pits in those last couple of uh, laps and it, and it was scary because if you saw that um, that that overhead camera from the end of the pit lane looking all the way up the pit lane, that sort of elevated camera. I mean, it was pretty scary. You could see Esteban. I mean, that stretch on that Baku City circuit, I mean, they're 200 miles an hour plus. I mean, that is one of the fastest stretches of track anywhere on the entire Formula One calendar. And I mean, he's going from, from 200 MPH to 50 MPH when he hits that pit lane speed uh, limit line. And to see all those people there and some people jumping out of the way so quickly was, was quite, you know, frankly, quite frightening. Because when you think about it, when you're a driver, when you're in the car, sure, you're trying to keep everything like in, in your mind to uh, things that you need to react to, that things you might see. But I'm guessing this probably doesn't make your top 100 things that may happen during the course of a Grand Prix that, yeah, I'm going to go into the pits and there's going to be 50 people with cameras standing right there at the entrance to pit lane. It was it was, it was was scary, man. Before we was just move on as well, I, I yeah. had somebody... I, this doesn't happen very often, but I had somebody in the British press reach out to me shortly after the Grand Prix, and and her point was, we need to keep an eye on Nick DeVries. And the reason mm. being is that Red Bull has a very, very, very low tolerance 
for a lack of performance out of their drivers. And this weekend was a horror weekend for Nick, the crash and qualifying, the unforced error that snapped the suspension on the front left corner of his car. Yep. I, I have a feeling based on everything I've read and everything that I've heard, that Red Bull's patience is probably already running very, very thin, especially in contrast to Yuki at a pair of P11s to start the season, has hustled his way into P10 in a really poor car. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a mid-season move there, if his performances don't significantly improve. And you brought up you brought up Alpine Renault a couple of minutes ago. Going into the season, they expected to improve on their P4 finish. And... I have a feeling that unless there's a remarkable turnaround there, that Otmar will probably be out of a job by the end of the calendar year as well. So just a couple of things to kind of on the more negative side of the sport, but a couple of things to keep your eye on, especially the Nick DeVries piece, because we've seen we've seen the lack of patience that Red Bull has shown with drivers before. And he's not even from their junior academy. They didn't invest three or four years of funding his junior development, that this is a guy that they could cut loose with very little cost. And they also have an exceptional young talent in super formula right now that could possibly make that transition maybe not this year but next year for sure yeah a couple of points on that um yeah i i mean alpine the way that um yeah it's just uh shocking what's what's going on there i mean i i was expecting a lot more out of them i mean this was a team that was considered by many to be a bit of a dark horse and to see where they are right now i mean you know coming home today in p14 and 15 i mean you you would think with like esteban like extending not just you know a couple of laps further than everyone else but literally could have gone the entire race on a single set of tires if the rules permitted it and did not you know wasn't even close to getting a single point out of that it was just like well what was the point of that 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 strategy that just makes no sense drama in the pit lane uh, you know that that's completely s- separate but then uh, talking about uh, De Vries, that is you know a very very good point to, to talk about because to say that uh, that Nick has been disappointing is a massive massive understatement. I mean, here's a guy. I mean, he he's not like eighteen or nineteen. He's already on the wrong side of twenty five, which you know sounds kind of crazy to say. But you would have thought out of everyone. I mean, he's been you know he's well into his professional career as a racing driver, and I thought out of everyone considering how he came in at the Italian Grand Prix in Monza last year to fill in for Alex Albon when he had that unfortunate medical incident and uh, needed time to recover in, in hospital at home and he you know Nick jumps into the car in that very you know unimpressive Williams and still brings it home in P10 and scores a point it's just like hey this guy's legit like let's get this guy a full-time drive and it's just been it has not been a good start to the season and you you so correctly point out that Red Bull's patience is very very short so makes you wonder what uh, what what might happen there and um well do do they really have a good you know funnel of drivers coming up through the you know through the system because that was a bit of criticism over the last couple of years because we thought we'd seen the last of Danny Kvyat right after he left uh, the the Red Bull organization then he was what a simulator driver at Ferrari for a year and then they didn't have anybody to put into that uh, I guess it still would have been Toro Rosso at the time so you know Kvyat comes back for a season because they had no one else to put uh, put into the car so you know that still seems a little bit kind of strange considering it's an organi- organization that uh, you know has this academy system so we'll have to keep a close eye on things and see what happens with uh, with uh, Nick DeFries and a little bit kind of funny too with the with, with Yuki that uh, I mean 
he's erratic at best. I mean, you know, three, you know, third season in, you know, like it seems to be no, no, you know, pun intended, hit or miss with the with Yuki. I mean, but yet, you know, as much as like his inconsistency kind of like drives me crazy, I still love the heck out of Yuki Sonoda. I, I, I just don't know what it is. It's just like, like half of the time, I just I, I shake my head and it's like Yuki, man, you just gotta pull your socks up. And I always kind of like think back to the, the the comment that was made on Drive to Survive one time that he was basically raised in the paddock by engineers. It's just like he's almost like this wild person, you know, that's been you know raised in a forest or something like that. Which I guess is maybe the equivalent. I love uh, it. Being raised in the paddock by by he's this rabid boy that was raised amongst (laughs) like the the clamor and the noise and the chaos of the paddock by like cursing mechanics who like swig beer (laughs) after the races yeah that's a that's a wonderful visual yeah, I know, right? Anyways, that, that that's uh, that's all I've really got uh, on that point. And for that, uh, you know, that's all I've really got to uh, to add for it. You know, or my thoughts on the entire weekend, Mark. I don't know if you've got anything else. If um, if uh, no, we're, you're, back, we're good to we'll leave back it there. on Thursday because we've got another yes. new show and we've got the Miami Grand Prix coming up, which will be super exciting because it's going to be an hour time zone. So that'll be very selfishly very convenient for the two Absolutely. of us. Um, so expect to see that. And we've also got a ton of great stuff coming up. But I think like you and I talked about, the next three or four weeks is going to be packed with Grand Prix. So we won't have, probably won't have a lot of space for specials. And then the last thing that I would ask, if you listen on Spotify, if you could give us a rating, it just takes one second to click that button. It means the world to both of us. And if you are listening to us on an Apple device, if you could give us a rating and review, we would both very, very much appreciate it. And then one last comment as well. We are, I think you probably picked up on the fact that we had some technical issues last Thursday. Big shout out to Mr. Mm-hmm. Daly for managing to piece that episode together with bubble gum and duct tape. So at least people could have something to listen to, but we were very close to not having anything. So if it didn't feel like it was our typical optimum quality, that was why. But thank you to Mr. Daly for getting something out. And uh, I think we've, I think knock on wood, we've solved some of our technical gremlins here today. <laughs> Yeah, that that was a bit of a frustrating one because most of the time we just sit down in the studio, we hit record, we do our thing, and then it's just editing. But that was just a one frustrating session for whatever reason that the gremlins came back with a vengeance. And at one point, I was sitting there in post, just wondering to myself, "Am I going to be able to piece this thing together, or am I, you know, am I messaging you first thing in the morning on Thursday?" Because we did the show a day earlier than usual, just to to give it a little bit exactly. more space before the Grand Prix, being a, a sprint weekend and i i just had this you know at one point i was just struggling to piece it all together i really felt i was going to be crawling on hands and knees come thursday morning saying hey mark do you have time to do the show again <laughs> we could try to do it properly this time so so touch wood those gremlins are behind us and again uh, apologies if it uh, didn't live up to our usual standards because that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is even though we have humble and meager resources that we try to produce the best uh, quality content uh, that we can and that uh, certainly did not beat our own high standards so appreciate you for, for those of you that persisted and uh, worked your way through through that one you get a gold star from and a lot of uh, appreciation from the both of us anyways we're going to wrap it up there uh, if you want to get in touch send us a tweet at scooter f1 pod and until thursday that is a wrap for us we'll see you then and uh, have a great week everyone thanks for listening bye for now